Welcome to School Nutrition Dietitian. I'm your host, Dahlia Kinsey. I work with programs all over the country as a registered dietitian and school nutrition specialist to save operations time and money on everything from employee training, social media marketing, and wellness programs. Every week, I bring you tips, tricks, and inspiration from fellow professionals in school nutrition and related fields. This week, we have Shannon Ebron on the show. Shannon, at the time of this interview, was assistant director in one district and now is the director in another. So congratulations to Shannon, and thank you so much for taking out the time to share your journey with the rest of us. This episode covers a lot of territory. Shannon has had a variety of responsibilities coming from a smaller district. It's always fascinating to me how many different hats one person wears in these smaller teams. So this is an interesting conversation. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. School nutrition dietitian here on a mission to show you fruits and vegetables can be super delicious. Eating healthy keeps you healthy on the inside. Keep your stomach satisfied and keep a clear mind. Now you're ready for your academics. Focus time to handle business breakfast. You don't want to miss it. Help your body to replenish clean food, clear mind. That is the vision. Tune in to the school nutrition dietitian. to start with what drew you to nutrition in the first place? So I would just have to say probably my family background. I just come from a family that has been really passionate about cooking and just food and gardening. I have two chefs in my family. My grandmother, she was just to me, a foodie before the term became really popular. I can just remember being with her and she taught me a lot of things about like candy making and just different cooking techniques that you probably don't typically use every day. So I just think it was just an early exposure in my childhood that just brought me to dietetics, but I will say it was not my first career choice. (laughs) Okay, well, what was your first? So my first career choice, I went to Tennessee State University, and I actually majored in family and consumer sciences, which is, you know, formerly home economics, but I actually took more of the fashion route. So I started in design and finished my coursework there and earned a bachelor's degree at Tennessee State. But along the way, you know how it is when you're in college that you have to take a lot of courses within the discipline. So I had taken, you know, like what would be now like the food science style class. And then I also took like a basic nutrition course at the time. So it was interesting. I just had all these different things in my background. And then in about 2010, I decided to go back for dietetics. And so I did my DPD at Fireball University and then matched to St. Louis University here in St. Louis. Both of those universities are actually here in St. Louis. So I kind of took the long way (laughs) to dietetics. Well, how did you feel once you got into the program? Was the focus on science and not on culinary? I would say I definitely had to switch hats. 
Yeah, coming from a background where my first major wasn't really heavily science focused and then had having worked in like a retail background, it was definitely something different for me. So I would say that it was pretty challenging, but I really felt like I had really supportive faculty at my universities and students as well. I just think that possibly since it was a smaller school environment that it helped me to excel right. in those courses. Well, how has your background in design influenced you in your current work life? Do you see any carryover? Oh my goodness, so many ways actually. It's really interesting just because I know a lot of people think that think that dietetics is heavily science-based, which it is, but I mean, we take so many courses that, you know, just at my time, when I was in school, I pulled from like a lot of my previous knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really been helpful in school nutrition, just, you know, a lot of the merchandising that goes into the product when you're doing things like different types of mobile feeding programs or when you're doing things like breakfast carts, just, you know, thinking about how the recipe is going to turn out, what, you know, foods that you have to source. So I think like a lot of my sales background, I brought that into dietetics and a lot of the merchandising and design. I haven't been fortunate enough to do a cafeteria remodel yet, but that's like what I'm really waiting for. Ah what that type of process would be like. I did work as a kitchen and bath designer for a short amount of time. So I'm really hoping I get to bring some of that knowledge to school nutrition really soon. Yeah. Oh, that'd be amazing. Well, how did you end up in school nutrition since you were so interested in culinary before you decided to study nutrition and dietetics? Did you kind of already know you had an interest in food service? Immediately, what brought me to school nutrition and to food management was really my practicum course that I had in undergrad. I took a course where we had to gain hands-on experience at a food management site, and they happened to place me at a school district. And it also happened to be at the time when the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act was just introduced, really. So... I got to work, you know, one-on-one with a food service director and, like, the head cook and all of the employees there at the school district. It was a self-op school district. So I got to see everything, see the changes that they were going through, the challenges and the successes that they were having. And that was probably the first time that was kind of, like, hit me, like, I can see doing this. This is kind of cool. I kind of like this. So then I used that experience to work at the Missouri School for the Blind. I was fortunate enough that one of the long-term cooks, she was going to be out on medical leave for a year. So I came in and worked as a cook for that year before I went on to my dietetic internship. So along the way, I was just building all this experience in school nutrition services. But I mean, when I got to my internship and my rotations, I was pretty much open to almost anything. I kind of have always known I wanted to be a community practitioner, but I did not 
have my sights set on anything in particular. Mm -hmm. So then fast forward to completing my dietetic internship and this job opportunity came up at my former district that was very different. It was, well, different for St. Louis anyway, but it was more of a combination of a community dietitian and an administrative or food management dietitian where they needed somebody to do nutrition education and menu planning and a little bit of operational work, which was just something that's really unique for St. Louis because typically you only see maybe a director and a secretary just because our districts are not very large here. So a lot of times the administrative team could be only one to two people. So I thought that this was something really interesting and luckily it became my position. So that was how I got into school nutrition and now I'm the assistant director at Fox C6 School District in Arnold, Missouri. So that's how I came to school nutrition. So what is your current role like? What's a typical day for you? I still do a lot of menu planning. I, a lot of my day is just like logistics of getting food out to the different school sites. You know, if we're short on something, trying to find an appropriate substitution, you know, making sure that the managers, that their day is moving smoothly, doing things like on-site visits or reviews, everything from hiring to sometimes dealing with disciplinary issues with employees to sourcing products, you know, working with our different distributors or food brokers, you know, going to food shows, conducting the like professional development for our staff. So pretty much anything a director would do, that's pretty much what I do in, in assisting my director. Yeah, that's a lot under one umbrella. So how many people are on the staff there? Just the way that the districts are set up here in St. Louis, we have an administrative assistant, and then I am the assistant director, and then we have a director. I'm in a district of 17 schools. We serve 12,000 students. We have a manager at, at each school, and then under the manager are cooks. And then we have three warehouse guys. So overall, it's about 100 employees that we um, have in our department. What has been one of the biggest challenges, you think, of running a district with a smaller central office staff? Like you said, just the flexibility of that you have to be a jack of all trades. I don't always have um, one job that I'm focused on, you know, at one time, like, you know, some districts might have a person who is a menu planner, one person who does the procurement, one person who does the, you know, HR activities with the department. So I think that's one of the biggest challenges is just that you have to be a little bit knowledgeable about everything and know who to ask questions, you know, like have a good resource in your back pocket when you have that question that you just can't figure out the answer to. So networking with other districts and being active in like your local professional 
um, organization chapters helps a lot when you have to multitask and do a lot of different roles within a district. That makes a lot of sense. That's a good tip to know who to go to when you need extra help in an area. So when you were first trying to get your feet wet with procurement and all of these things that maybe weren't so familiar, what was your retail background? Maybe the food sourcing wasn't as challenging to you as it might be to someone who was totally new, but how did you go about training yourself or was there a structured onboarding process? I know in a lot of smaller districts, sometimes you need to come in and hit the ground running. I would say still my process was similar to a lot of people. It's just that you hit the ground running. I think some things that have helped for me, like I said, networking, but also I have not taken the SNS exam, but the school nutrition specialist exam from the School Nutrition Association, I think is pretty helpful. You know, just studying for it alone and having those resources that you can go back to, I feel like that's been pretty helpful for me. Um, I think I was really fortunate that I've had really good education in dietetics. I think that that's worked really well for me, but I think understanding your state agency is really helpful. If you can go to their different educational events that they might have, I know everybody's different how they get to interact with their state agency, but I think going to their website, knowing their resources, and just not being afraid to email the person or to pick up the phone and just talk to them. I think that that's one of been, been one of the greatest resources. And social media. <laughs> I think social media has been wonderful for school nutrition. It's helped me a lot because I can see what's going on in other districts. And I think everybody is so nice and helpful. I think every time, I know every time I've emailed another director or nutrition coordinator, They've been more than happy to answer my questions, to share recipes with me, and any information that they've been able to give me, you know, like food specification sheets, if they have a product that I'm interested in, they've sent it over, you know, through email. So I think that's been really helpful. Social media might be one of my biggest go-tos. Do you think that's a generational thing or do you find other people taking advantage of it? Or is that like a hidden resource people don't seem to be tapping into? I think it might be a generational thing, but then I think, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that school nutrition programs are using it. I think, you know, sometimes when I tell people like our district has a, a social media page, or pages, they're typically, you know, kind of surprised. They're like, what are you doing with it? What type of information are you sharing? So I just think still a lot of people have misconceptions about school nutrition and what we're doing and how much has changed that I just think people still aren't aware of how, you know, technological advances that we've made in school nutrition. Yeah, that's definitely true. Sometimes it does feel like we don't get maybe as much engagement from our parents and community as we would hope. 
And I love the social media as a tool. I didn't mean to say that social media. I sound so old. I love social media as a tool to connect with other people in the field because I definitely see us using it to communicate, you know, across state lines. I sometimes feel like we're just shouting into the void when it comes to talking to our parents. Have you had better luck with connecting with them as well? Or do you have separate social media campaigns to reach them? Or do you reach them in person? I think that we reach parents better in person, you know, like at back to school events or a lot of the time when the children are transitioning to a different grade or like if they're new to kindergarten, I think that when we typically hit the parents, I think it depends on what we share on our social media. I can remember this past fall on Giving Tuesday, we did a campaign where we were, you know, asking if, you know, people in the community would like to donate to pay down student balances. And that got the biggest reaction. I think it may have been shared at least a hundred times. Okay. So sometimes I just think it depends on what you, you post, but then sometimes I might post a picture of a fabulous tray and like, this is what your child can have for lunch. And it, I mean, it gets some attention, but not as much. I think sometimes the emotional connection works really well with parents or community members on social media. And I think it depends on the platform as well. What platforms do you prefer in your district? So I think, well, I know our Instagram page does very well. I would have to say after that, Twitter, or maybe they're at a tie. And I just say Twitter because almost all of our schools have their own Twitter handle. And then, you know, like the superintendent has a Twitter handle, and a lot of the administrators do as well. So I feel like they share things through Twitter pretty well, especially since the district has a hashtag. I think that that's really important is to use the appropriate hashtags for the district, and that really helps to get the information shared. I would say Facebook has the least engagement. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that makes sense. I just can't get into, well, I was into Twitter, but because if you subscribe to a large number of people, your feed just starts to race by, and when the person posts, totally determines whether or not you'll ever see what they said, assuming you use it that way. Like I know they have hashtag parties and there are different ways to engage people so that they don't miss your content. But I am more of a just log in and look at what's in the stream in that moment type of person. And on Instagram, <laughs> it feels like I see everything I want to see. And I'm more likely right. to follow a hashtag there because you can consume it so quickly because you're not reading as much. You're probably just looking at pictures. So right. I'm more active on Instagram than I am anyplace else. At Facebook feels like it's just parents at this point. Definitely no kids at all, and for some reason, not the parents of our children. Like it's other people. <laughs> I knew that once my mom got on Facebook, I knew it was over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I do agree. I agree. Facebook is not as popular 
to now, I don't think it's as popular anymore. Like I said, I just think if you're dealing with a district account on Twitter, I think the go-to things that, you know, really help to get that information out, you know, like I said, are the district hashtags. Sometimes almost every school has their own hashtag, you know, it's something that probably includes their mascot. Using that, you know, tagging the administrators in the Twitter uh, posts, I think that those things really help on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. I still, I use Facebook a lot still personally, but I found that since they've changed their algorithms, it's hard. If you're on Facebook as a business or as an entity, not a person, your posts are even less likely to be seen, even if people subscribe to your page, which is kind of silly. So I just don't focus my energy there as much because it feels like even people who want to connect with you may not be able to unless they went out of their way to visit your page. They have no way of knowing they're missing a recent post from you. You would assume it would all pop up in your feed if you subscribe to it, but that's not really how it works right now. So maybe I should right. check out Twitter. So now right. that your district has made an impact by connecting with the existing social media that your district is using, do you feel like people are starting to buy in more or is there still resistance there and people don't understand why you even bother with it? I think that it's, I think it's starting to catch on more. And I do think we are being recognized. We just, um, I've obtained a new superintendent and it's kind of interesting because she just followed us the other day, oh. whereas this, my, our actual social media has been out there probably for a year now. So she's following us on Twitter and Instagram. She shared a couple of our posts. So I think she's really going to be a champion for school nutrition services. I think now people are starting to catch on to it. Now that I started tagging them, mm. I feel like I've always tagged them. I just feel like now they're starting to catch on. I think sometimes you almost have to literally give the people the information. Like, could you please tweet these actual words and here's the picture that goes with it right. and share it on your individual Twitter feed for your school site. I think that those things help. I don't, I just think like in school districts, even though it's a district, I think people really respond well to what's going on at their specific site. Right. Well, I definitely love the idea of using it as a tool to connect to other employees within your own district. I don't yes. think I've heard a lot of focus on that because if you have employees eating with you, that's definitely going to help your entire operation. Right, right, right. I agree. Yes. So I do think that it has helped the district become more engaged with our department to know what's going on. Right. Oh, that's a good mm -hmm. idea. Now, you mentioned the SNS exam is a good resource for getting all areas of nutrition, getting your initial exposure. So you said even studying for it has been beneficial. Is that something you've done? I have. Yes, I have. I have been studying for the SNS exam. 
I'm hoping to take it this year. It won't be at ANC. I'm not ready for that. Okay. <laughs> but it is something on my radar, and I've been using the materials from the School Nutrition Association and from the ICN, and they've been helpful to me. And another thing, I actually did the orientation to school nutrition management with the ICN, the Institute of Child Nutrition. I thought that that program was very good as well. So I actually went to Mississippi and took the five-day course, oh, wow. and that was really helpful. I took it here in Atlanta. I, it didn't even occur to me to go all the way to Mississippi. So what was that experience like? Did you meet people from all over the country, or people were there from around the state? Um, from all over the country. And what's so funny is really a small world in school nutrition because I met um, a girl, a, a dietitian. I met a, she was an assistant director at the time. Um, she actually went to the same dietetic internship program I did like about a year or two apart from each other. So we just had common ground. She had lived in St. Louis. She was now, I believe, in Milwaukee, I believe she was in, or in Minnesota. So, I mean, we just had common ground. It was just very interesting. Um, I actually got to see some school nutrition professionals from like some of the different social media channels that I follow. So it was just kind of interesting to see familiar faces that I follow on social media in real life and to get to talk to them about their programs and what I had seen, you know, on Instagram, like, how do you make that happen? What are you doing? So that was really cool. So it's just, it's just a small world in school nutrition and, like you said, I mean, social media is just bringing us together. It's it's really interesting. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I'm hoping to see more people using LinkedIn, too. I was hoping at ANC this year, maybe other people would be using the feature on LinkedIn where you can go to your settings and make yourself discoverable, and you can add people who are in your vicinity so that we can just get rid of paper cards altogether. I just feel like right. constantly being updated and I am such a granola like planet loving <laughs> type of person that I just cannot stand the idea of throwing out a box of cards because one or two words changed in the district motto or something. So I'm like, why do I have to have paper anything? But there's been a slow transition. People don't want to get on board with going electronic. I'm hoping to see that change. But now that we're meeting each other before we meet each other in person, there's no impulse to exchange information because you already have each other's information. So right. maybe this will be, maybe it's the beginning of the end for business cards. Maybe. So, like, this is really interesting. So, I'm sure you're familiar with Live from My Desk with yeah. Amanda and Stephanie. They were saying that there is some way to make, like, a digital um, business card, and I need to look back into that. I don't know what that entails. Google suggested first was the one I went to, because, like, who goes <laughs> to the second page? And it didn't look the way I wanted it to look, and so that was a bust. So I need to try again. I Yeah, I probably should just check their their notes. Okay. 
So that's yeah. another really good resource. You're right. This is an excellent time to be in school nutrition because there's information everywhere. And I took the SNS exam already. And when I was studying for it, I got irritated that nobody told me <laughs> that all the information I probably wanted access to in my first couple of months was in the study materials. Because like you said, you don't have to have had your one year of working with school nutrition to go ahead and study for it. And all of that information was relevant. I'm like, I cannot believe it. It was all in one place. And I remember asking multiple people, what resources would you recommend? Like, what should I be doing to basically onboard myself? And not one person said just study for that exam. Like, there's literally a study guide that's going to point you in the right direction of all the supplemental reading you need to look at. I, it's a fabulous, fabulous resource, but I was like, I can't believe I went a whole year just <laughs> figuring things out and it's already compiled. So that would be my recommendation to other people as well. And I really like the way they explain things in the book. It's just enough information to get you started. You can touch on everything. It, it was really helpful to me. I agree. I agree. We're helping a lot of people by making that recommendation. So since you have been there, what's one accomplish you're really proud of that you participated in or maybe spearheaded on your own in this district? Well, I would say social media. I brought that expertise from my former district because I started the social media channels there. So that was something that that it's brand new to the district. I'm the person who set it up and I manage it. I'm really excited because I recently applied to a grant for the local dairy council here. We're trying to start serving smoothies in both of our high school cafeterias. So I'm really excited to bring that concept to our high schools this fall. So those are two things that I've been working on in my short time. Did you you have grant writing experience before? So I feel like the two universities that I went to to complete my dietetics education, they were really heavily focused on, I feel like they had strong community aspects and just like good public health backgrounds. So I feel like I had a lot of experience as an undergrad with different professors who just that was their expertise. So they integrated it into our curriculum. But then once I got to Ridner, I applied for several small grants and I was successful in securing each one that I completed. So I just feel like, you know, having that background, that educational background and in the practice that I had in my former district, I feel fairly confident. I mean, they're not like the USDA Farm to School grant. That's like my long-term goal in school nutrition. But as far as like smaller, more manageable grants, I feel pretty good with what I've accomplished so far. Right. What do you think the biggest obstacle is to people opening up themselves to applying for grants? Is it just that concern about being able to follow through with deliverables? I think probably confidence, probably getting support. I know that I applied for a grant 
at my former district a couple years ago and got it. It was for breakfast carts. And it was great. You know, I'm getting all this background information, going and talking to principals and the administrative staff, you know, telling them, like, this is my plan. This is where I want to set it up. You know, this is the equipment. These are the spec sheets. This is what we're going to do. And, you know, it's like everybody's excited on board. You know, before you submit the grant, you have to get signatures from all these administrators and everybody's excited. Well, we got the grant and these people had already signed off. But then when it was time to implement the program, then it's like, you know, screeching halt. Like, what are we doing? You know, where is this going? Everybody gets nervous about trash. You know, how is this going to impact the students? Are they going to be lingering in the halls? What's going to happen? You know, then everybody wants to kind of control the situation. (laughs) And I just thought, like, oh, my gosh, this is going to crash and burn. Like, I'm not going to be able to do this. And, you know, they're asking you along the way as you're implementing this grant and using their money, like, you know, what are the sales? Like, you know, what's your ADP on this cart? You know, you know, what's going on? And I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, I'm like, can we put it here? Like, let's put the cart here. Let's get extra trash cans. I'm just trying to think of everything to just keep this program going so these people aren't thinking like I'm completely wasting the money. But, Mm. you know, that's just one of the challenges, like, you know, getting people to see your vision, getting them to cooperate, you know, having confidence in you. And just, I think at the end of the day, when they see the impact on the students, when, you know, the students are getting very interested in the program, and once the numbers start increasing, then everybody, you know, the dust kind of settles on it. But I think that that's just always a challenge that administrators worry a lot about the logistics of it. Right. And try to kind of control the situation. So that's just like one of those roadblocks sometimes with, you you know, projects. Going forward, do you think there are any additional steps you could take to reduce how many concerns are brought up after the fact? Because it sounds like some of those things, it would have been useful if those concerns had been voiced during the planning stages instead of after the plan was already established and ready to be rolled out? I mean, I don't know. I think back to it, you know, I even got case studies from the district, you know, dairy council dietitian. You know, like I said, I shared the spec sheets, tried to do walkthroughs. Sometimes it's just unpredictable and I think the best thing is that you just have to communicate. You just have to go in with a smile. You have to compromise sometimes more than what you thought you would have to. Just, you know, be gracious. I think sometimes you just don't know all the stresses that, you know, like building administrators are going through since they're typically over, you know, several programs, like after-school programs, they have a lot going on. So sometimes I just think things are unpredictable as to how well it's going to be received. Right. And all the people that later had concerns 
were people who were involved in the decision-making process and just realized as it was moving along that they had concerns or were some people left out of the decision-making process? No, I feel like everybody was in the decision-making process up front. I don't know, you know, I don't know if it was just, you know, being overwhelmed, if that administrator was overwhelmed. I think it's kind of difficult as well because I did this at two middle schools and I think sometimes it's difficult when the two principals compare notes, <laughs> which there's nothing wrong with that. I think we all, you know, should collaborate and talk to each other. But I do think that that's kind of difficult. I guess maybe one thing I wish I had probably turned it into was a competition with having two middle schools. If there was some way that I had probably turned it into a competition for like sales, like offered some sort of an incentive, if one of them had a higher participation rate or something, maybe that would have taken away some of the principal's fears because maybe they would have been more competitive. Right. I think that's to like excitement instead of. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I definitely think maybe that could be something that somebody can learn from my experience going forward. If you have like two high schools or two middle schools, I think if you can make it a competition, you know, something, an incentive at the end of the the school year or semester, I think maybe that that would have, that can help yeah. in a situation like that. I like that idea. It's definitely a challenge doing anything in a group. And especially when people in the group are parts of different fields and different departments that have different objectives. So of course, when everybody is interested in whatever's going to benefit the students, but we all kind of have our blinders on usually when it comes to areas that only affect our colleagues. So sometimes the questions that need to be asked don't come up until later. I'm the type of person that if you bring something to me, I'm going to have a million questions on the spot. But then I've noticed that the other people that... You bring the concern to them. They deal with what you need from them that day. You explained it. They're like, that sounds good. You need my signature. Okay, great. But they're not really going to start ruminating until later. I assume if you said, okay, great, that meant you had no questions. So I can see how it's important to stay gracious and understand that people have stress in their life that we're not aware of. There's a lot on everybody's plate and just stay flexible and communicate as much as possible and stay flexible. <laughs> Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. You nailed it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, people are, everybody's so different and communication styles are all over the place. So I know one of my biggest issues with group work, and this has haunted me since undergrad, is just assuming that, Everybody knows what you're saying. Everybody's listening to you. Everybody hears you. And if they didn't say anything, they didn't have anything to say. None of that stuff is true. Like, you can't assume any of that <laughs> is true. So, 
Bingo, you nailed it. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, I just think the whole, you know, challenge with school nutrition is like you're managing multiple sites. Like, you know, I tell people all the time, I'm like, each site has like a different culture, like a completely different feel. Like they run different. This principle might be lax where another one might like more control. You know, I mean, one school can like something totally different on the menu for the other, but it's like, that's just one of the difficulties of school nutrition is just like we're all in the same district, but each building has a completely different feel and runs completely differently. (laughs) So I totally agree with what you're saying. Flexibility is number one. (laughs) Because I don't think other people probably feel that heat as much as you do, like you said, because their work really is happening in that one building with that one culture. And we're trying to maintain positive working relationships across the district. And it is hard to get a consensus. I get a lot of feedback from our managers about how people on certain sides of town, they say, eat completely differently. And it may not be as different as it feels to them, but if you only do taste tests in one side of town, there's so much pushback, even if the differences are just perceived differences and not going to show once you look at the data from both sides, people are not okay with being lumped together. And every school really is unique, so it makes sense that they they want to feel like you came directly to them and that their desires are represented. So like you said, communication is really the only way to solve this problem because you have to go straight to the source and see what they would like from you. And with time constraints, that can feel kind of difficult, I'm sure. Um, yes, it is, it is difficult because it's very funny, you know, when people ask me, what do you do for work? And I say, you know, I work in school nutrition. It's so funny because people automatically say, like, what school do you work at? I'm like, right. I work for the district, so I'm everywhere. And driving takes time, which is fine, but... Yes, you're right. It it is a time-consuming thing when you need to meet with people face-to-face because some things you just cannot do over email. Right. And that's why I think it's such a smart idea that you're connecting with your district through social as well so they can have some idea what you guys are doing. Because like you said, I feel like people don't always know what we're up to or people have no idea what we're doing. Right, exactly. You have to to tell them. So that's on us, you know. We need to communicate more and let people in the district know what we're up to. Because sometimes the perception can be that you're being difficult or not connecting with them enough. But that's just because they really don't know what we're doing all day. Like, they, (laughs) people just really don't. I'm not even going to elaborate on that. I can agree. You know, it's just funny working for a self-operating district, you know, when I tell people, oh, I have to go do, you know, my menu planning. And they're like, you plan the menu? They're like, I didn't know you did that. I'm like, absolutely, I plan 
on the menus. I'm like, that's how it gets done. So it's just, it's just very interesting, you know, what people think we do and then what we really do. And I know there's like a meme for that. Uh, that's there, immediately but... where my brain went. went. I was just like <laughs> thinking about that meme. But that really speaks to how many people feel like they're misunderstood in different fields. Because I've seen it for about a million different things. I love the dietitian memes. Absolutely. <laughs> so accurate. I saw one a dietitian was talking basically talking about how overwhelming it is to manage special diets for hundreds of people at once. But at the same time everybody's like, What are you doing? Like people right. don't really think you're not doing anything. It's like I I'm know. Just treading water is what I'm doing. But Trust yes. Me, I'm busy. I really right. busy. <laughs> so yes. what's something that you absolutely love about your job that you know you probably wouldn't get to experience anyplace else? Something I absolutely love about my job is like especially being with the elementary students, sometimes there's like a lot of produce that might seem every day to me and you. But, I mean, like, some of them have never had cauliflower. Like, you know, some of them have never had blueberries. I don't know, even a strawberry sometimes. But I can remember when I worked at my former school district, when I was doing more nutrition education on a regular basis, and I was doing a taste testing along with the nutrition education because I tried to tie, like, a sample in with the you know, the nutrition facts and learning about the different vegetables or fruits that I might be promoting at the time. So anyway, I had a recipe for like a broccoli salad and there was this boy, I don't know, he was maybe in third or fourth grade, but I'm not kidding you. He came back to my table for a sample of broccoli like seven times of this broccoli salad. He was in love with it, had never had it before, but he came back seven times, which was fine because we never denied a child, you know, as many samples as they wanted. You know, they're just like the little one ounce souffle cups anyway. But he came back seven times, blew my mind, biggest smile on his face ever. So like when you get to do that, yeah, it's so much fun. Yeah, that's probably the best memory I have. That's that's a good one. I think I saw that on your, you had a post on the Midwest Dairy site. Yeah. About the broccoli apple salad. So he really, he made an impression. I love that story. Yes. I get to see that often enough. So I really want to spend more time in the schools. I love so many different parts of school nutrition, but that really speaks to the public health aspect of it and influencing eating habits really early on. Cause I know there are a lot of adults who have aversions to certain food because they had negative experiences with it as a child, like maybe only having canned vegetables, which I love mushy vegetables. I ate a lot of canned vegetables as a kid, but it didn't turn me off from them. But I understand how some people think that they don't like something because they've only had it overcooked or they've only had it swimming in butter and they really haven't got a chance to experience it in all its glory. 
So yeah. it's awesome to be part of that process of introducing somebody to produce the way it's meant to be served, you know, right. so they can get a chance to actually experience it, not swimming in cheese or butter and actually taste that yes. vegetables actually have their own taste. Lettuce has its own taste. You can't really taste it when it's swimming in dressing, but <laughs> it has its own taste. So yes. that's really fun. So you've gotten to do what you set out to do being in the community aspect of nutrition. Yes. Plus yes. administrative. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, you know, I think school nutrition, like I kind of said in the beginning, is a little bit of almost every class I've ever taken. It pulls in so many different aspects from the, you know, dietetics discipline, you know, Going out, like I, like we said, the school, each school has its own culture. You get to know what's going on in the community and the challenges that the community is facing. You know, you get most of our staff is they are community members. Most of my staff at each school I've worked at, district I've worked at, the staff, most of them have graduated from the school district. Oh, wow. Um, so... I just really feel like, I mean, the school is a huge institution in the community. I mean, people come for events. So, you know, I know a lot of people are scared. I know a lot of dietitians don't want to go into food management. But if you are a dietitian that's listening or a dietetic student, I would encourage you to go into school nutrition because it's just, it's different. It's so much different from like maybe a hospital or um, maybe a retail food service environment if you're working in that type of environment. But it's, I don't know, it's different. Like you said, you get to impact a child starting from potentially preschool all the way up to 12th grade. I'm still waiting on the day when I meet that kindergarten and hopefully get to see them all the way to graduation. I have not had a student like that yet. But where else can you do that? <laughs> That's true. That's true, especially in an area where people stay near where they were born and raised, like it sounds like you're living in. That's definitely going to happen. I know I'm from a fairly small town, and the kids I went to kindergarten with, we graduated together, and the teachers didn't change either. I honestly can't think of anybody that moved. <laughs> Like, I know one kid moved to Atlanta when we were in fourth grade, but everybody stayed, all the teachers stayed. People, yeah, they really influence how you're going to experience life. So even like in phys ed, and now that things have gotten so much better with how we structure our wellness aspect of the program, you really, really influence how people relate to physical activity, and food. I can't think of any other area where I would be able to have the same level of impact aside from actually being involved in policymaking, you know, that affects the whole nation and like maybe looking at how cities are laid out as well because how your city is structured definitely affects your health outcomes. But 
we definitely have a tremendous reach in school nutrition and it's so accessible to so many people with a background in nutrition. But like you said, the interest isn't always there and the awareness isn't always there. What was your interaction like with the National School Lunch Program before you started working with it? Did you go to public school? Did you ever have school lunch? Oh my goodness. Okay, so this is real that's a really good question. Well, since I'm a second degree student, high school or school period as far as primary school happened a long time ago for me. So like now when I think about it, I mean, the only thing that comes to mind, which this comes to mind for everybody, even parents that I see now when when I meet with them, the square or rectangular pizza. Like that's that's everybody's go-to. And I mean, that's probably like the only thing I can really remember. And I ate school lunch as a kid, but... I mean, I kind of have maybe one lunch lady pictured in my mind, and I believe her name was Miss Ernestine. But other than that, like, honestly, I really can't remember anything but the pizza. But I don't feel bad. I'm in the same boat. I don't know why. That's literally all I can remember. But that's probably (laughs) a good sign. Like, I can remember plenty of negative experiences I had in other parts of the school, but I don't remember anything bad happening with the staff in the cafeteria. So that maybe not remembering is a good thing. That's what I'm starting to think. So yeah, I didn't have any bad experiences. And I mean, who doesn't like pizza day? But that's the one thing that comes to mind. And like I said, everybody's mind when I talk to them. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I hope to have more of an impact on I don't want to say more of an impact because I don't know what kind of an effort was being made and I just wasn't paying attention because that may also speak to how difficult it is to grab a child's attention when they're surrounded by their peers. So I I do feel fortunate that I definitely had the feeling that the adults in the school were trying to create a good experience for us. And Maybe I just took that for granted because overall, I just felt like our interests were always at the center. When you're really well taken care of, I guess it's easy to kind of take it for granted. So they probably were doing amazing things and I wasn't paying attention. But (laughs) I hope that the kids remember, remember us, basically. So. Yeah, that's interesting. I kind of had that same feeling that you did. I thought about it. I mean, you know, since you're in a school district, I go through a lot of different trainings, you know, trauma-informed practices are very popular and needed right now. But like, that was one of the things that were brought up, you know, like how our cafeteria workers may be the only smile that these children see, you know, these people are giving them a hot meal, you know, it's very important. But I just, think like you I was like I must have been okay as a kid you know I must have been fortunate to have a good support system that I guess I took it for granted or like you said I just did not pay attention to it because I was getting what I was needed needed you know so yeah because the concept that there would be no smiles I'm like well all the adults were taking care of me all of them were smiling at me like who's not you know the people who weren't that way I could remember by name (laughs) 
in the minority and most exactly. were great. So I was like, what what do I need to look up from my square pizza for? But I just want right. kids to remember us fondly because uh, we really are trying to create a good experience for them. I know things have gotten tougher since I was in primary school in the 80s. And that was like before Columbine, there was less stress at school, less fear at school. I remember my mom forgetting to pick us up from school one day and they left me. Like my sister had a gifted program activity after school. So in my mom's head, she just knew she had to go later and she forgot that she had two kids. Oh! And she just left me waiting outside. And, you know, the PE teacher waited for a while. He was like, you know what? I'm sure you'll be fine. You know, yeah, I know where your sister is. Your mom's coming eventually. Bye. And just left me up there by myself. I was so miffed. <laughs> I think I was in, I must have been in kindergarten because this was my, oh my was fourth grade party. That was the first year she was in, gifted. And, of course, I brought this up to my mother a million times. So this is why I still remember the details. I'm like, you just left me. Everybody forgets the middle child. Like, you have two kids. Anyway, but never would that even be a possibility in, in modern times. You don't just leave no. kid at school. But it was fine back then, and I was fine. Nobody kidnapped me. My mom was like, right. oh my goodness, I can't believe I forgot my second kid when she finally pulled up there. But <laughs> things have definitely changed. So I think that yes. our kindness and our high level of customer service may mean even more now than it did before because the need for it has increased. These are stressful times and everybody's pressed and it's easy to forget to be kind and to treat our kids like the VIPs that they are. So it might matter even more now than it did back then. I agree. Yeah. Yes. Well, definitely. Thank you so much for coming on. Congratulations again to Shannon and your ongoing professional growth. As always, if you have any questions, topics you want to cover, or guests you want to suggest for the show, you can reach out to me on social media at School Nutrition RD on Instagram and on Facebook. Have you subscribed to the mailing list yet? You don't have to lift a finger to make sure new episodes are delivered straight to your inbox. It's totally free, and you can find the link to join the mailing list on my website, www.schoolnutritionrd.com. Okay, see you next week.